So we're in Micah chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, and we are uh, just going to unpack this again. I'm going to just read this passage of Scripture. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for uh, my transgression? My firstborn shuddered when I read that last week. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I just want to spend some time on those things again, uh, particularly uh, the issue of justice this morning. Uh, These are some fresh conversations for us as a church, and I'm excited about what God will unfold in the days ahead. I'm excited that uh, particularly women's ministers going to walk the neighborhood and ask for justice in our schools and ask God to move uh, in, uh, in our neighborhood in this way. And, and I think that, that the Lord is unfolding a new season for us if we will step into it aggressively with excitement and with fervor and with, with a, a, a level of faith for what he will do ahead of us. So the Lord is... Uh, the Lord is with us and he is moving us in the right direction. So what I want us to do today is I want us to just unpack a little bit about how we can do justly. What does the Lord require? The Lord requires you to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly. So I want to talk about that this morning. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 16, it reads this way. It says, wash yourselves Make yourselves clean. Now remember, when we started this conversation uh, many weeks ago, when the Lord was talking to the children of Israel uh, about their trek into the promised land, he said, sanctify yourself. So this is much the same conversation as that in how the Lord says, you began to prepare you for what I will do. So he says to the children of God, he says, wash yourself and make yourself clean. Put away your evil doings from before my eyes. Uh, Cease to do evil. Just stop doing this stuff. Sound like a good father? Learn to do good. How many understand we need to learn to do good? I've never had to teach one of my kids to lie. Eleven children, I've never had to teach one to lie. I've always had to teach them to tell the truth. Because you learn to do good. Listen, the Bible says that the sin nature dwells in this body. The Bible teaches us that. The Apostle Paul spoke of it in the book of Romans, and you should read uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Romans and and unpack the the war that comes within the believer. I'm a terrible evangelist because I tell people, you need to come to Jesus. He'll change your life. But I, but I, uh, I just want you to understand that the moment you do, there is a war that is going to begin within you. But it's fun. It's delightful to watch uh, someone come to Jesus and their countenance begin to change and their life begin to change because in the middle of that war that begins within them, they begin to win the fight. So the Lord says to the children of God here, learn to do good. And then he says this. He said, seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Let those words hang on your mind for just a minute. 
you seek justice. He wasn't talking to political leaders when he said this. He was talking to the average guy on the street, and he said, you seek justice, and you rebuke the oppressor, and you defend the fatherless, and you plead in behalf of the widow. And then he makes this great statement, and I have heard in my life, because I've grown up in church, and I've heard so many people quote from this passage, but only this portion of this passage. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins will be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I've heard people quote that passage of Scripture, but if you don't precede that passage of Scripture with the instruction to seek justice and to rebuke the oppressor and to defend the fatherless and to plead for the widow, then you forget that when in God, listen, in God, when this vertical relationship between man and God is brought into correct alignment, immediately something will begin to happen in the relationship between man and other men, between you and your culture, between you and the people around you, between you and the people that you work with. Once this is in place, this will immediately move to this. And so as I begin to unpack this passage of Scripture, I begin to realize that everything that God is speaking to us in this passage of Scripture, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, has everything to do with man's relationship with other men and women in the earth. Jesus said it this way. He said all of the law and all of the commandments is combined and and is wrapped up in this This statement right here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that powerful? I think we get really good at love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. I think we stumble at love your neighbor. One of the hardest things for me when I moved into the neighborhood I'm in is that everyone in my neighborhood had garage door openers. And they would pull in and their garage would go up and their car would go in and their garage would go down. And it took months and years in some cases to even recognize their face. But Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you got this? Now, Church of Living Water, let's get this. Let's get this in our, in our neighborhood. Let's get this in our schools. Let's get this in, in our workplace. Let's get this thing going in, in uh, our connect groups. Let's get this going in our relationships with one another. Let's bring the kingdom into those relationships. So we've got this. And now we must address the interpersonal relationship that Church of Living Water has with the community around her. The interpersonal relationship that the people of Church of Living Water have with the people that they are employed with. 
the people that they serve with and the people that they work with. There is a release of the kingdom that has come and you have got to be the release of the kingdom of God in your workplace and in your extended family. It begins in your family, by the way. If you're not a lover of Jesus at home, you're not going to be able to carry it into your school or into your work or into your outside relationships. So, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And he gave a list of things in which his life had received an anointing. And one of those things, he said, was to set at liberty those who were oppressed. To set at liberty those who need justice. You feel an anointing over this conversation? I, I, I feel this, there's a weight of, uh, of uh, the importance that this is to the Lord. Leviticus 19 and verse 15 said this, the instruction given to the people of God was this, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial. Listen to this. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. You will not make a difference in an individual because of their station in life. When doing justice, you will not look on the outward appearance nor the balance in the bank. When doing justice, you will do justice because there is an individual standing in front of you who is created in the image of God. And so you will do justice. I love that passage. So he says, you will not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In righteousness you shall form your opinions. In righteousness you shall deal righteously one with another. In righteousness you will lift up. In righteousness you will strengthen. In righteousness you will affirm. And bless. Amos said it this way. As he prophesied. He said, let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Church of living water. God is prophesying new perspective right over you right now. Let righteousness roll down like water or justice roll down like water, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let it flow out of your life. Go ahead. Let it flow out of your life. Let justice flow from your lips. Let you uh, lift up the oppressed and speak to the oppressor. Oh, I love this. Because God is about to flow through you in power. Jesus said... Greater works than these you will do. 
I've been expecting that my entire life. I've been watching for it. I listened to my father talk about it, and I've seen it, and I've watched it happen, and I've experienced it. And one of the reasons that I know that we'll do greater works in the earth than Jesus did is because there's more of us. As he is, listen, I know I'm just grabbing some things out of, out of my spirit, but the word says, as he is, so are we in the world. As he is. Some of y'all don't believe that. I'm going to just camp out right here for a moment. Well, pastor, if I... That's kind of why I have you do that little bit. I want you to be comfortable with... encountering others. I want you to be comfortable with that. That's why I have you pray for one another. Because, Pastor, what if I lay hands on the sick and they don't recover? Well, what if I lay hands on the sick and they do? Get off that glass-half-empty attitude. Listen. How do we seek justice? How, how, do, how do we as people of God participate in this process in our culture? Leviticus gives us a little view of that in Leviticus 19 and verse 10. One of the instructions that the children of God received, and I'm going to talk to you about this because I'm your pastor and because I love you. Do not strip your vineyards. Leave, leave some behind for the sojourner and the passerby. Leave some behind for the poor and for those who just happen to be walking by, you got, a or, you, got a, you got an orange orchard, just leave some oranges on that tree. So if a guy's passing by and he hasn't had lunch and he happens to be hungry so he can feel uh, comfortable to reach up and take an orange and peel it and enjoy it right there, uh, children of Israel, uh, just, just uh, leave a little bit behind for those that would glean from that, those that need it, those that desire, those that are a little bit hungry so that the fruit of your life feed someone else. Well, we're not all vineyard owners and orchard owners and field owners any longer. So I believe that what the Lord is saying to us in our culture is when I bless your life, don't absorb everything that I bless you with for your own contentment. Don't you completely absorb your bank account. Don't you completely absorb your resources. Lift up your eyes, look to the fields, and realize there are those around you whose life you can bless. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'm going to... She's on a plane, so she's not watching the live feed this morning. My mother-in-law shared with Laura on the phone yesterday... She's in her 80s. She went to Supercuts to get a haircut, her $25, and while she's sitting in the chair, a man in Supercuts comes up and says, I'm going to pay for that lady's haircut. Now, when you're on a fixed income, $25 means a lot. And she called Laura, and she said, God is taking care of me. I was at Supercuts, and this man uh, paid for my haircut, and I said, the Lord bless you. And he said, he does, lady, he does. 
Don't absorb every resource that God puts in your hand and consume it for your own blessing and for your own comfort. But begin to ask the Lord how you can be a vessel through whom he can flow. Just as if you were a field owner in that day, you would have left some behind for those that would glean and for those that had nothing and for those that would just be passing by, that there would be yet a cluster of grapes for them to enjoy on their way by your field. Isn't that deep? How come we miss this so easily in our culture? Jesus said to Abraham, listen to what he said to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless. God is still saying that to his people. I'm blessing you so you can bless. We hardly ever, at Church of Living Water, have hardly ever had to say anything about finances. The Lord has been so gracious to us. But, but in, in that environment, I have not said enough about it, how that the Lord desires to bless you so that you can bless. So I'm saying it today. It's part of justice. And then he says, uh, to rebuke the oppressor in that passage we just read in Isaiah. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 says this to us. This is, listen, New Testament, New Testament stuff is good for our ears. Once in darkness, now in light, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You expose the oppressor. Now listen, not so much to everybody else, but to the oppressor. You expose the oppression to the oppressor. Do you realize that you are oppressing? Do you realize? Because maybe with all good intentions, you think you're helping, but in reality, you're holding someone down. You seek justice. by gently, lovingly, with all grace and restorative attitude, by saying to the oppressor, let's not oppress someone who's created in the image of God. Let's strengthen, let's lift up, let's, uh, let's uh, encourage and comfort. I think God's going to make you a little more verbal. as a church, and as a people. And I'm not an activist. That's not my nature. But I'm active. And the kingdom is active in me so that others may be blessed. So he says, if you are in darkness, expose darkness. That's what he's saying. You, you were in darkness and you're now in light, so you know what darkness looks like. So expose it. If you think of it in that way, then it's far less judgmental and far more helpful to say to someone, there's a better way. Have you considered 
I'm extremely diplomatic. There are some folks who are not. Have you considered that if God were involved in this situation, that he would move differently among this group of people than we are moving among them, among this group of employees than we're moving among them, among this group of laborers than we're moving among them, among, uh, among this group of family or friends than we're... Can, can you just see a, a difference in the way that God might move among uh, us in this scenario or in this situation? Those are conversations you should feel comfortable to have. I've always told you, and I'm going to tell you again, don't be discouraged and, and uh, frustrated when people who don't know Jesus behave like they don't know Jesus. That should not catch you off guard, nor surprise you. Also, don't have an expectation that if they are in darkness, that they would have uh, an understanding of what is shown in the light. You bring that to the table. You can expose darkness without anger, without frustration, without doing, having angry responses and doing angry things. I don't like angry Christians. It's just really a weird thing in my head. I, I'm happy people, just really something about that. It's not what Jesus brought us. So I'm not mad at the world. I'm going to tell you why I'm not mad at the world in just a few minutes. But let me give you this instruction. Psalm 82, 3 and 4 says, Defend the poor and the fatherless. It has been a grace over this house for many, many years that we've always had foster parents here and we've always had people who... Who, who felt a heart for the fatherless. And we're living in a fatherless generation. It breaks my heart. And I'm getting too old to do a whole lot about it. Having a three-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. But I want to tell you something. Those children that were fatherless are not going to find themselves in prison and they're not going to find themselves on the street because they're going to grow up here in the name of Jesus. Amen. And they're going to know he's better than that. And I pray that in the next generation of this house that God increases the desire to touch the life of the fatherless. For years there have always been those who are touching the fatherless. We will continue to do so. Psalm 82 says, defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Just do justice. Just do right by them. Deliver the poor and the needy, free them. Now Jesus said, you always have poor people with you. And the reason he said that you always have poor people with you is so that you would understand and that dealing with poverty would not become, uh, would not take you off point and off message to the kingdom. The poor is always here. There's always someone needing something. Don't miss the point that if you, if you take care of... The Bible says don't... Let me, let me just sort this out here. The Bible says 
don't say to a person who's cold and hungry, be warmed and filled and go in peace and, and not address that cold and hunger. But Jesus was saying by the same token, don't address the cold and hunger and never speak the word of grace in the kingdom. Never speak the good things of God. There's so many in the earth that want to put shoes on, on feet that don't have shoes and coats on people who don't have coats, but they never speak the name of Jesus. And then there's so many others in the earth who just speak the name of Jesus and never do anything about it. There's a way to walk in that so that you effectively change lives while speaking the grace of the kingdom of God and the love of Jesus. Amen? So listen to this. Listen to this. And then we're going to close. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is John 3, 16, and 17. And this is another one of those passages of Scripture where folks share one portion of Scripture but don't get into the meat of, of the next portion. And you're all familiar with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you're going to touch someone at the point of their need, touch them with those words as well. But finish the sentence. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus said to the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, and I know we've had this discussion, why'd they bring her and not him? And how come she's the one that's in trouble and not him? She was not committing adultery alone. And Jesus... with some level of graciousness, was able to address her accusers in a way that caused them to leave and walk away and, and cease their accusations. And then Jesus has the audacity to say to this woman who according to the law at that time deserved death. He said, neither do I condemn you. Just go and Sin no more. Don't, just go and find a better way. Stop doing this. Just go and sin no more. I want you to know that the word of the Lord over your life, even to this day, is neither do I condemn you. But also that's the word over the life of the individuals who you are doing life with and who you are walking with. And those people that you are working with that are frustrating you like crazy right now, neither do I condemn you. Jesus.